Welcome to the Road to Life Church podcast. Here with our pastor, Mike Shepline, you will be inspired through the Word of God. For more information, please visit roadtolifechurch.com. Well, last week we began to talk about something that we called dogs and new tricks. If you were not here, or maybe online, I would encourage you as well. You can go back and you can watch. I think the majority of us have heard the statement that just say it with me. You. Okay. okay. I know that there's more than three people that know that here. I'm not saying about you or if you're in Texas, y'all, but how many, the statement you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Now, I want to just say that that is not God's statement. That is not something that God, and just to throw this out, is you don't have to be old to be set in your ways. You, 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 you don't have to be old. Another way to say it would be, you know, I'm just kind of set in my ways, so what's the use? Oh, this is just the way it is, so, so, so what's the use? Realize that God wants to work that, he wants to work that view that I have, I have been doing this for, and you could say a year, five years, whatever it is. So, um, so what's the use? He wants to work that out of me, out of my view of life, and out of my view of tomorrow. It is a natural view that is uninfluenced by God. It's a, it's, it is a natural person. And if we allow that view, what we do is we condemn ourselves. We just condemn ourselves. It says in Romans 8 that there's no condemnation. And if you look up the word condemnation, it literally, it means a sentence upon you. That's what it means. It means a, a sentence that you're unable to get out from underneath. God said, when we come to Christ, none of us have a sentence over our life that he can't free us from and that he can't bring us in. And you know, you think about it is this is the voice in the tendency of the flesh without the influence of God in and over our life. We see God throughout the Bible as one of the first things that he does when he comes into relationship with mankind is he begins to challenge this mindset. He begins to challenge that mindset. And the reason is, is that it limits his best for our life and it puts a governor on our life. And so maybe we have a dream or an aspiration, but we're not able to step into it because of this internal, this is just the way that it is. I remember when I met my wife in Bible college, and just, just in case, we've been married for 36 years, almost 37 years, and, and my wife just keeps getting hotter and hotter, just so you know. Don't look at her. If you're married, look at your wife. And if you don't have one, get you one. How many of you know what I'm saying? Is, but I remember that when we were in Bible college, is my wife is one of the most evangelistic people I have ever met, including evangelists and everybody. She just looks for an inroad to share Jesus with everybody. And it's just super encouraging. And, you know, she just, people get, her thing is I want to get somebody uh, to, uh, saved today and in a relationship with Jesus today. Well, when we were in Bible college is, um, how many of you know that usually college is synonymous with broke? How many of you know what I'm saying? And so that we, we were in, and this was back before the days where you could go get a bunch of loans. You know, you, you paid for it. And, um, and so we were in Bible college and 
And my wife um, was working, reaching out to, in this particular neighborhood to these kids. In this, in, in this neighborhood, they really didn't have much. And so she would go there and she would do things. And she decided that she was going to take them all to Dairy Queen to get them an ice cream. Anything they wanted, they could pick. And she loaded up her little Honda Civic. How many of you remember the old Honda Civics? You know what I'm saying? You couldn't fit four people in them comfortable. And so that she loaded up her Honda Civic, took them to Dairy Queen, and basically said, you can get anything you want on the menu. I'm paying. You can get anything you want. Now just shout back at me. What would you get at Dairy Queen? Peanut butter, there he is. My wife is a peanut buster parfait, maybe a blizzard. How many, you know what I'm saying? Whatever. And these kids walked up to the counter and they just sat there and they said, I'll take a small ice cream cone. Wait a minute. Not even dipped. No sprinkles. No chocolate syrup. And she stepped back and said, I said, you can get anything you want. And they said, no, this, this will be good enough. See, in our lives sometimes, we've been conditioned to good enough rather than what Jesus has paid for. Yeah. And God is saying, I got so much more. But, and, I, and, and Jesus has paid for so much more. And it's available but you're going to need to change the way you think in order to step into it. You know, the story of the Israelites in Egypt is if you study the story, what you find out is God got them out of Egypt. And when he got them out, it proved to be the easiest part because it took him 40 years then to get Egypt out of them and the way that they thought. And so they couldn't, they couldn't step in. And his biggest struggle was that they had this limited mentality and ways of seeing themselves and making decisions based on the views that they had picked up when they were in Egypt or when they were in slavery and when they were underneath it all. You know, later the Bible says that Moses sent 12 spies. They had crossed over and, they, and Moses sends 12 spies. He picks 12. 12 heads of the tribes of Israel, and he says, remember, there's three to five million people that have come out of Egypt, and they're in the desert, and God picks 12 of them, and he says, you're the head of the house, and you're going to go in and spy out the land, and then bring us back a report about what you see. Bring us some fruit, bring us some stuff, bring us some of the booty, and when you come back, we want you to tell us, and I want to just read the story in Numbers 13. 13, verse 30, and it says this, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession of it, for we will certainly conquer it. How many of you would go along with that? It's like, let's go. Now look at what it says. But the men who had gone up with them said, we are not able to go against the people of Canaan, for they are too strong for us. Look at this statement. So they gave the Israelites a bad report about the land in which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we went 
in spying it out, is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people we saw in it are men of great stature. Now look at this statement right here in verse 33. There we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, and part of the Nephilim. And now look at this. It says, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Notice where they started. They said, we saw ourselves this way, and because we saw ourselves this way, this is the way they saw us. This is the way, because we saw ourselves as in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were, I don't know about you, but a grasshopper is not something I want to compare myself to. Are you with me? Have you ever looked at a grasshopper? Have you ever looked at a grasshopper? They saw themselves different than God saw them and it hindered God's favor and his blessing upon their lives. And whenever we see an area of need that maybe we have struggled in, it, whenever we look at it, I think that the, that the disconnect is that when circumstances that we want change, we're looking and we're saying, I want this circumstance change, is that what God does is he says, I want the circumstance change too, but realize I want to get to the foundation of the circumstance so the circumstance doesn't come back. Are you with me? See, they wanted the circumstance changed, but they didn't see the foundation. And I believe today this whole thing, dogs in a new trick, is it's a culture war with us. It's a culture war where we're looking and we're saying, we want this circumstance change. And God is saying, you know what? I want to change that, but I want to do more than that is I want to start at a foundational level. I want to start at where the way that you think. I want to start at the way that you see. I want to I get back to maybe where there's a root or there was a crack or there was a situation that is now maybe led to or contributed to this circumstance that you want change. But what I want to do is I want to back up and get to the foundation. See, foundation change over what I'm going to call circumstantial change. We all see... All of us, we see circumstances that we're saying, God, I want this particular thing changed. But what God does is he looks and he says, the circumstance got your attention, but I want to get to the foundation. And if you let me get to the foundation, yes, I promise to take care of the circumstance, but let's start with the foundation. Are you with me today? You know, I remember, um, and this was quite a few years back, me and my wife, we, uh, uh, we came from California. We lived in San Diego, and I had a business there. And I remember I had, I'm just going to call him Tom, and I won't say his last name because you'll look him up with social media. Um, Tom, it was a, he was a guy that would build houses in La, in La Jolla. He had moved from um, Greenwich, Connecticut, and did really well there and wanted to go someplace warmer. How many of you know warmer is good? And so he moved with his wife, and he was about 40, and he kind of semi-retired, but then decided he wanted to fire it back up. So Tom moved to La Jolla, and, um, and he was one of my customers, a client, a friend. He was just a great guy. And, and he 
said, hey, Mike, I bought this house in La Jolla, and that's where he lived, and I want you to meet me there because I want you to take a look at it. And so I pulled up in front of his house, and it was on a golf course. It was a beautiful golf course. If you've ever been to La Jolla, it's a cove, and so it all overlooks on the side of a hill the Pacific Ocean. And so um, Mitt Romney has a house there. It's just one of those spots. You can't touch anything for under a couple million bucks. And so he said, I want you to look at this. I bought this house, and I want you to meet me there. And so I pulled up, and it was kind of up on the hill, and the golf course was right here. And I looked at it from the street, and I thought, wow, that's a pretty cool house. I thought it needs some updating, maybe some colors, some superficial, do some stuff to the landscaping. I don't know what the inside looks like. And so we, and so we, we, I show up to the house and I'm probably like about maybe, um, maybe a hundred, 150 feet from it. And it's up on the hill. It's all a one story house and looking at it and I'm waiting and Tom pulls up and the driveway kind of winds up a hill and you go up to it. And so we go up there and the house is, is vacant. And so as I'm looking at it, I say, oh, Tom, that looks like, kind of like, it looks like a nice house. I think you could do well with, with that house. But as we got closer, what I noticed was this, is that there were cracks in the stucco on the outside and they had been patched. And the closer I got, I had noticed that there were, there were cracks and they had been patched. And then there were more cracks and they had been patched. And then there were more cracks and they had been patched. And then there were more cracks. And I'm not talking like little cracks. I'm talking like cracks like this that they patched and touched up, patched and touched up, patched and touched up. And as we got closer, Tom, Tom just looked at me and smiled and said, let's go in. It was vacant, and we went in, and the doors were, were all trimmed so they could close. <laughs> so it would maybe be 36 inches on the bottom and 34 inches on the top to, to, so that the doors could close. And it, the, the drywall was all cracked up, and everything was all cracked up. And I, I looked at him, and he said, I got this house from an insurance company for about 25 cents on the dollar. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jack this thing up, put a new foundation under it, put a second-story master suite that overlooks the golf course, and I think I could sell it for about four to five times what I have into it. And I looked at Tom, and I said, let's go. You, go. you go right ahead. But what happened is, is that if you looked at it, is that somebody earlier made a mistake with the foundation. And so what had happened is, is the whole house, they, the insurance company bought it back, and the whole house needed to be fixed, but it was all in the foundation. And so what Tom did, he ripped off all the stucco, he jacked the thing up, put a new foundation and drains and everything all the way around, and then set it back on the foundation, added a second story. And I remember looking at it thinking, man, that is a sweet house. How many of you know what I'm saying? But from a distance, it looked just fine. But the closer you got, you could see. Realize this, that we see from a distance, but God wants to get involved in the foundation that's maybe causing some of the cracks. Are you with me? He wants to, and you know, they added this second story on top of it. And that, see, God, and the, the second story was incredible, 
But God sees the foundation of the problems that we face, but he wants us to trust him enough to walk through it with him so that he can jack the house up, fix the foundation so that we can go higher than we've ever gone before. Are you with me? We can go higher than we've ever gone before. See, the foundation is what's under the surface. You and I, you're looking at me and you can kind of see everything is on the surface. America is very surface. America is very superficial. America, in the way that it is, is it's all about what it looks like, but what God is, God's not interested, or God is not against what it looks like, but he's more into the foundation of what it looks like than what it looks like on the outside. And so when we talk about a dog and new tricks, is God wants us to be open to foundational issues. He wants us to be open to things that maybe we picked up back there. Maybe we went through something there. Maybe we face this over here. And I want to just, this isn't, they're not going to put it on the screen. If you're a note taker, you can write this down because this is not my points. But I want to just give you four things that reveal our foundation. Number one is this. Time, or another way to say it, is seasons reveal our foundation. That's what they do. They reveal our foundation. We go through time or extended period of time and, and you know, it's, and then all of a sudden we see things because we never saw them and seasons revealed it and storms revealed it and everything revealed it. And so time reveals our foundation. The next thing that reveals our foundation is tests and trials. Tests and trials. Everything gets shaken and it reveals what I really believe. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7 around verse 24 or verse 25 where he talked about that the storm revealed that one house was not founded on the rock and the other one was founded on the rock. And so what it was is it was a test. It was a trial. The third that that reveals foundations is God. He always reveals foundations. You say, why is that? Because he loves us and he knows that if the foundation of our person is on anything other than him and his word, it won't last. It just won't last. We won't be able to sustain. We won't make the distance. We won't, like the apostle Paul at the end of our life, say, wow, I finished my course, fought a good fight. And so he gets involved, and what he does is he allows certain things to reveal our foundation. Proverbs 17.3 says that God allows certain trials and certain tests to reveal our foundation. The fourth thing that reveals our foundation is success. Success. What do you mean by success? We learned this from Solomon. Solomon in his early days was incredibly, the Bible says that, just incredibly humble, incredibly open, incredibly, but it talks about in Ecclesiastes that as he got older, he got, and, and let me just be clear about this, is that it wasn't the success, it was his heart shifted from God to the success, and this is the story of humanity, is God begins to bless our 
life. We forget about him. We go for a nosedive. Things fall apart. We remember God. God blesses our life. And then that's the story of America. It's a story of humanity is that the more we succeed, the challenge becomes, God, I need to keep you first and the number one priority in my life. I am not going to allow myself to get distracted with natural things because I know that you blessed me for a reason and I love you and I choose you. I mean, this is the history. Look at Uzziah. Look at Solomon. And now what what I want to do is, I think those weren't on the screen, but I want to give you five things on how to go deeper in eight minutes. Are you with me? (laughs) Number one is this, is without lordship, nothing works long-term. Nothing works. It can work short-term, but it won't work long-term. You want to know why? It's because this is original design. It's original design. What lordship means is, Lord, you're first in my life. That's what it means. If anything replaces him as first, understand we're on a three-legged stool. And you can balance and you can do some things on that three-legged stool, but eventually you're going to fall. How many of you know what I'm saying? And so when you think about it, um, it'll work short-term, but God will always lead us to settle on lordship. And the reason is, is anything outside of lordship is unstable. Anything outside of lordship is what we do, is we begin to think to ourselves, well, I'll follow if I feel like. Like it. Well, I'll follow if I agree with him. No, he's always right. He knows what's best. And what lordship does is it prompts me to say, you know, God, you're first. I don't feel like it. And let me just say this. It's not a sin to not feel like doing what God wants you to do. Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross. And he said to God, God, I don't want to do this. Is there any way around this? But then he backed up and he said, but not my will, your will will be done. That is lordship. And so it's not, it's not a sin to say to God, God, I'm not feeling it. I don't really want to do that. But you know what? If that's what you want me to do, I'm good with that because you're Lord of my life. You're not just a Lord. You're not just a way, but you are the way to my life. And so since I trust you more than I trust myself, this is original design. In the New Testament, we see this is, was a very real decision, especially after Jesus was crucified and risen from the dead. You see it in the book of Acts that what would happen is, is that the persecution ramped up. And if you made a decision for Jesus, it was you were all in because you would get persecuted if you, if you made a decision for Jesus. I mean, think about this for a moment. I'm gonna, there's a story in John chapter chapter 9 about a guy who had been born blind and that he got healed and and if you study the story what you find out is the people of that day began to persecute the Christians and so this guy's born blind he gets healed and when he gets healed the religious people get ticked off the political people get ticked off and they basically put this guy under trial they're trying to get him to renounce lordship over his life and they can't get him him too and so they call his parents in and look at what it 
it says in verse uh, John 9:22. It says his parents said this because they were afraid of the leaders of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone acknowledged Jesus to be the Christ, they would be put out or excommunicated from the synagogue. Look at what it says in verse 5. Jesus heard that they had put him out of the synagogue, and finding him, he asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, sir? Tell me so that I can believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and in fact, he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe in you and your word. And he worshiped him with reverence. Do you know that in, in America, they call America post-Christian. That's what they call our country, post-Christian. The gospel has come, and now, for a large part, it's, it is left, and that there's resistance to the gospel from the highest levels of the land, and in a secular, progressive way. And that we, what we have got to understand is that when we talk about that is experiencing the favor and the blessing of God over our life to give us the ability to overcome weaknesses and struggles and things that cause our life to be a witness, we got to realize this, that it comes back to, Jesus, are you Lord of my life? This is one of the reasons that in Muslim countries, in Hindu countries, that if they make an allegiance to Jesus, they are disowned by their family and in many especially orthodox muslim countries the family will kill the person and so they have to leave and so it's amazing to me this is one of the reasons that communism is so anti-christian because christians call themselves to a greater allegiance and that's jesus is lord but in communism the state is lord no jesus is lord the state isn't lord and so it is a greater allegiance to what they call a foreign deity than the state and they outlaw it as Christian they outlaw religion in Christianity see what we've got to realize is this is the foundation it's the foundation you say it's in what it is is you say why does he have to be Lord why do I got to give him everything it's the way God set it up you say what do you mean how did he set it up to get you Jesus gave everything. To get him, you must give everything. And then his life comes into you through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he begins to transform us from the inside out. But if we don't, if we're 50% or we don't give everything, it's not New Testament Christianity, it's American Christianity. And it's by design that he, it is totally by design in our life, in the way God, without lordship, nothing is long term. Number two is this, is I must separate who I am from what I do. I must separate who I am. See, if I can't separate who I am from what I do, then every time God sets me up to grow and begins to reveal I, what I do, or maybe starts tweaking a little area, is I take, it a, I take it as a personal attack or I condemn myself. Who you are and what you do is very different. What you do is the leaves on the tree. 
And, and what we've got to realize is who I am is I'm loved by God so much that he gave his son to have a relationship with me. God planned for me before the foundation of the world that I cannot outsin his love. He loves me. While I was a sinner and didn't deserve it, God sent Jesus to prove his love for me. I am loved by God. He's given me the Holy Spirit in my life. He said that I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Notice this. He said leave or forsake. Leave is that he will, some people say I feel like God's left me. No, he said I'll never leave you. Forsake is when you make a mistake and you think oh I've gone, I'm gone too far. God said I will never forsake you and we have got to separate who I am from what I do. Number three is this is begin to see myself as a work in progress. Okay, I'm going to do something that is um, pre-COVID. Are you guys okay with it? Look at the neck. You don't have to touch them, but just look at them and say, you're a work in progress. Now say this, be good with it. Be good with it. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9. It says, we are co-workers with God, and you are God's cultivated garden, the house he is building. I'm the house God's building. No, he didn't say he's built. He's building it. He's building it. He's the master builder. Number four is this, is be teachable when I'm in a storm. Be teachable when I'm in a storm. You say, why is that? Because storms are revealers many times unlike anything else in my life. They reveal. And it's huge to be open, to evaluate, and God to ask, okay, Lord, where'd this crack? I'm in the middle of a storm and now I'm seeing this thing. You know, you look at Peter and you remember what Peter said. He said, you know what, everybody else will deny you, but I won't deny you. I believe that Peter really, really believed that. But then he got in an environment of a particular storm, and he denied the Lord three times. And what I love about it is after Jesus' resurrection, he said, go tell the disciples and Peter that I'm alive. See, we, what it is, is we've got to be teachable when we're in a storm. And number five is this, is big transformation almost always starts with small, deliberate steps. Big transformation almost always starts. What small steps can I do right now? What is God leading you to do right now? You say, this area right here just kicked my butt for a year, for five years, 10 years, 20 years it is. I want to ask you something. God's going to begin to direct you in some small steps. You just want it gone. I understand. I get it. But God's going to start leading you in small steps. You know, this preacher I know is, he just loved God with all of his heart, but he had a struggle, and everybody has a struggle, and his struggle was weight. And I don't mean like a little bit. He was like 150 pounds overweight. And he prayed and he said, Lord, I need you to just take this. I just need you to take this. And nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. And then after a period of time, he said, 
He said, I felt like the Lord told me to stop eating bread. I, and he's like, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> I'm, and I'm like, well, no, but the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will lead you. And as I talked to him, he said, okay, I'm going to stop eating bread. Now, let me, how many of you know there's nothing wrong with bread? I love bread. There's nothing wrong with bread. But he said, this is my problem. He said, I can't eat a slice. He said, if I open a loaf of bread, I eat the whole loaf. <laughs> he said, I got, he just said, I love bread so much. He said, I just eat the whole loaf. He couldn't just eat one or two slices. He had to eat the whole loaf. But he stopped and he said, okay, God, I'll stop eating bread. Do you know that over the course, God began to lead him and he lost over a hundred pounds. But it all started with a small step of just saying, Lord, I'll see God sees God knows. And in our lives sometimes is it's us just saying, okay, God, I realize that maybe I'm a young dog, maybe I'm an old dog, but I've allowed the secular world mentality to creep in, in areas of my life where I've just said, this is just the way I am. I just can't change. I'm just going to be like this. What's the use? Forget about it. I've allowed that to creep in. And now it's affecting every part. And I'm not seeing your favor in the area I need to grow in. I believe that God is saying today, he's saying, I want you to back up and let me reveal, get into the foundation. You're looking at the outside circumstance. You're looking at that way of reacting, responding, living, functioning. Doing. You're looking at that. But the fat cracks back here. And I want you to allow me now to come in and invite me in. And I will transform you from the inside out. Can you say amen? How many of us can relate to that? How many of us can relate to that? I think sometimes in our life, all of us, and it's just such a freeing statement to look at our life and just say, well, under construction. How many of you know what I'm saying? Just under construction. I'm good with it. You know, we live in this world today that there's this illusion, and the illusion is you got to be perfect. You can't have weaknesses. <laughs> Let me just tell you, everybody's got them. Nobody's perfect. And the people that try to convince you, get away from them. Because it's that's the foundational thing. How many of you know what I'm saying? I want us to right now stand to your feet if you would.